Uh, we commence today's show talking politics with Washington Post syndicate columnist and host of the Ruben in the Center podcast, Ruben Navarrete Jr. Ruben, good to have you back. How are you today, sir? And don't forget the best part of that biography, friend of the show and longtime uh, friend and co-host. There you go. Mr. Chavis in, Smiley. Great in, to be with you, my brother. Indeed, indeed. Never deny that. Um, let me jump right in. Uh, there's, there's a lot of breaking news, uh, as there has been this yeah. week, uh, but there's so much breaking yeah. news today. Let me start with this. Um, uh, Jim Jordan uh, tried uh, mightily over the last couple of days uh, on two different votes to uh, become the next Speaker of the House. Uh, we were told yesterday there'd be a third vote today, and he's been trying to uh, uh, herd these cats, as it were, otherwise known as Republicans, uh, to get the to the number that he needs, 217, to become the Speaker of uh, the House. His numbers uh, in the second vote, as you know, were less than his numbers in the first vote. So his numbers are going, obviously, in the wrong direction. So somebody hatched a plan uh, to empower the temporary Speaker, Patrick J. McHenry of North Carolina, uh, to hold on to that until uh, until they can figure something else out. So we're told literally moments ago that Jim Jordan has not endorsed that plan, and the vote that was scheduled for today, the third vote on his nomination, will not in fact be held. Um, uh, they're gonna uh, his, his, he and his allies, I should say, will continue trying to round up votes to get him uh, over the finish line. But in the interim, uh, this guy Patrick T. McHenry of North Carolina will remain the interim speaker. Uh, until, uh, again, Republicans can figure something out. As I said the other day, uh, quoting my grandmother, this is a hot mess. It's just a hot mess. Um, and I'm, I'm curious as to your take now on what we just learned moments ago. Yes, sir. You know, with uh, his bow tie and his, uh, his glasses, I love Patrick McHenry. And I love him because he's not Jim Jordan. I didn't know how good I had it <laughs> for those five minutes that he held the gavel until I got a look at what was behind door number two. Uh, and so I think this is exactly the right move for the Republicans. You need to look at this in both a macro and a micro level. The micro level, it's true. This was a smart move by Jordan to pull out of the running because uh, every single vote he was going to take going forward, he was going to get fewer votes. It was going to be humiliating because he was going to get less and less support as time went on. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is, you know, because you've seen the same stories that I saw, is that there is a backfiring effect to the threats, the blackmail, the harassment, the bullying that the pro-Jordan forces were employing to try to get support from Republicans. And Democrats are not part of this at all. Republicans were saying publicly, look, I've gotten death threats. My family members have gotten death threats. This is not working for me. Uh, in fact, I was on the fence before. Now I'm going to vote against Jordan. Mm -hmm. I won't be pushed around. Mm -hmm. So that was clearly a bad strategy and it backfired on the bullies. Good for them. I'm glad it turned out that way. But in a macro I'm with you. What a clown show. Yeah. What an absolute Republican clown show. And at the worst time where the, the president is going to come forward tonight, uh, the president has really risen to the occasion of the Israel crisis, the Israel-Hamas crisis, and is going to come forward and ask for as much as $100 billion in funding for Ukraine and for Israel. Uh, and we don't have a House of Representatives because the Republican Party has shown that it can't govern themselves let alone govern the country. Yep. Um, when we come forward, I want to challenge you on that risen to the occasion. There are a lot of folk in this country who don't see it the, the way you see it, that he's risen to the occasion. Uh, many believe, and I, we've had guests on this program who see it quite differently. So we'll talk about whether or not he has, in fact, risen to the occasion. Uh, or whether or not uh, he has disappointed a great deal of fellow citizens. We'll talk about that. Uh, the president is giving a major speech tonight. That's the other big news I was referencing. So we got speaker news. we got presidential news. Say nothing of Israel, Hamas. We're just getting started. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 
of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. Let's get back to more of Tavis Smiley right now. More of Tavis Smiley and Ruben Navarrete Jr. as we talk about politics in this first hour. Before I move to uh, the president's uh, major address tonight to the nation, uh, Ruben, uh, a final uh, question or two about Jim Jordan. Uh, my sense is um, that given uh, that his votes, again, his vote totals in the second round of voting were less than his first, uh, and given that he has uh, uh, agreed to postpone this third vote because he realized he still doesn't have the votes he needs to become speaker. And so, again, for those who may have just tuned in, Patrick McHenry out of North Carolina is essentially the interim speaker, and that's the plan to just stick with him until something else can be figured out. Uh, my question is whether or not at this point you think Jim Jordan is toast, because I do. Yeah, he certainly is toast. I mean, given what you just said, the fact that he had diminishing support, the bullying tax backfired. There's another aspect to this, too, and think about it this way. I've gained a new respect for uh, Kevin McCarthy, the former Speaker, House Speaker, and here's why. On the one level, he was completely dishonest and untrustworthy, lying to Democrats and Republicans alike. <laughs> but you've gained respect for this guy? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, here's why. Okay. Here's why. Because you understand politics. You understand it from the inside as well as from the outside. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to be able to find somebody who can stitch together all these moderate coalitions, right? These coalition of folks who normally don't get along. And what McCarthy was able to do was piece together enough Republican support from the moderates and some conservatives to get elected on like a 16th ballot or something, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think we're going to see that again because what Republicans didn't think through is if you nominate an extremist, an insurrectionist, someone like Jim Jordan, who was called by John Boehner, the former House Speaker, a legislative terrorist, what you do then is you lose the moderates. So that's what happened. And that's why I have a new respect for McCarthy, because even though he was untrustworthy, even though he was dishonest, even though he lied to Republicans and Democrats and the like, he was able to stitch together the coalition that is very hard for Republicans to uh, replicate. So this audience knows um, you've been a regular to, uh, contributor to this program for, for a couple of years now. Uh, they, they know that yep. you are Ruben in the center, and they, and they know that I am unapologetically progressive, Tavis. So you're you're in the center, <laughs> and I'm unapologetically progressive. The audience knows that. I don't need to explain that once right. again. But when but even, even in the center, when you say you've gained new respect for Kevin McCarthy, I, I can't yep. imagine that you could use the word respect relative to McCarthy. And here's why. Um, what you call stitching together, I call selling your soul. Kevin McCarthy yep. sold yep. his soul. He surrendered his soul. He let them steal whatever soul he had. He is soulless. So what you call stitching, I call soulless. You want to respond to that? I sure do. And, you know, there's somebody else out there in our political history who likewise sold his soul to move to the middle and betrayed his supporters and had people protesting outside his workspace for doing all that. And that was Bill Clinton. And when, when President Clinton lost uh, the, the House in 1994, uh, you and I were on radio at the time in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, and, and Newt Gingrich came to be the speaker. He brought in his old friend Dick Morris, as you recall, yep. and Morris said, you've got to move to the middle. Okay? And so on welfare reform, on immigration, on crime issues, Bill Clinton went home to a conservative uh, part, of the, part of the beach, and ultimately uh, he left behind his supporters, Jesse Jackson, uh, and Patricia Ireland and others got, got arrested outside the White House. What did African-Americans do in response? They turned out in 1996 to help reelect Bill Clinton. So that's interesting, right? Because black folks who supported Bill Clinton 
uh, then might by this next say, well, he sold his soul, he sold us out, but let's vote for him again. Nice try, nice try, my friend. But here's the point: we're not talking about <laughs> one. We're not talking about Bill Clinton. We're talking about we're talking about Kevin McCarthy. You trying to flip the script? We're talking about McCarthy, no, no, no. not Clinton. Number one, no, 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 number, no, number. I'll let you respond. That's number one. I'll let you respond. Okay. That's number one. Number two. That's why you're in the center. Number three. You said you gained respect for Kevin McCarthy. I did not hear you say that when Clinton moved to the center. And your, your analysis is spot on. And I checked him about that a number of times during his presidency, as you will recall. Uh, so, you know, he, he didn't get away with that, uh, at least as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and as far as my commentary was concerned, he didn't get away with it. Yeah. But I did not hear you say that when Clinton went to the middle, you gained respect for him. So why respect for McCarthy and not for Clinton? They, they're, they're playing the same game, to your point. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. It is a game. So in terms of how well Clinton played the game, I have nothing but respect for Bill Clinton. Okay. And how he played the game as a natural politician, he's the best we've ever seen. And I will say this, I think he flummoxed and frustrated the Republicans. And as much as he frustrated you and other progressives, he frustrated the right wing because they couldn't uh, no question. demonize him as easily. Uh, no and question. so that is what I, and I get into this argument all the time with my wife because ultimately, like when I say something like, oh, I really respect something that, uh, you know, Bill, uh, the Bill O'Reilly said or Tucker Carlson's, Tucker Carlson's battling with Fox News, and I'm, I'm rooting for Tucker to be up on Fox News, right? Yep. And my wife is like, how could you be rooting for Tucker? And I said, look, I'm not a priest, okay? This is not a moral thing. This is not a, me blessing Tucker. This is just me saying there's two people going at it, and as a strict stra uh, strategist uh, looking at it, as a strategist, I'm looking at this and saying, you know, I respect the little guy going after the big guy. But I, but I, I think I think to your wife's point, first of all, two things. One, uh, maybe you haven't heard this. Happy <laughs> wife, happy life. That's the first thing. Don't know, forget that. Argue with your wife over that kind of nonsense. We'll get you divorced. So happy That's wife, right. happy life. That's right. That's number one. Number two, though, maybe the point is you got to find. You're a great writer. You're a Harvard. You're Harvard educated. Maybe you got to put out your thesaurus yep. and find another word for, for for respect. Maybe you're not really saying you respect them. I hear the point. But I just think the word respect yeah. is, is doing too much. I, I don't know how anybody, anybody at this point could have respect for Kevin McCarthy. That does not mean that you like Jim Jordan, Patrick McHenry, or anybody else. But to say you respect yeah. Kevin McCarthy, that's where you lost me. Let me move on and cover some other yeah. issues. We, we talked about, you, you, you teed up the idea of the president, uh, the, the notion, rather, that the president is giving a major address tonight. He is. Uh, and I don't know what we're, you know, I don't know all the details of what we're going to hear. Clearly, to your point, he's going to ask for a lot more money. For Ukraine and for uh, and for and for Israel, uh, but when you said earlier that you think the president has risen to the occasion, there's a huge headline today in the New York Times, for example. Biden's response to Israeli war meets centrist praise. That would be Rubin, centrist praise, but liberal anger. That would be Tavis Smith and a bunch of other folk uh, who do not think uh, on this issue he's risen to the occasion. And there's a story that broke on HuffPost that a major major official in the State Department. Uh, Josh Paul uh, has resigned his position. Let me just read a, a tad bit of what he said about why he is resigning. And I quote from Josh Paul, high-ranking State Department official. I believe that in our current course with regards to the continued, indeed expanded and expedited provision of lethal arms to Israel, I have reached the end. He called the administration's response Quote, an impulsive reaction built on confirmation bias, political convenience, 
intellectual bankruptcy and bureaucratic inertia, close quote. He worked uh, for the Bureau for more than 11 years uh, and uh, in the Department's Bureau of Political Military Affairs, which oversees weapons trades with other countries. The State Department, of course, no response as yet. But Biden is giving this speech tonight against the backdrop of a major State Department official stepping aside. And a lot of folk who don't think, Ruben, he has risen to the occasion. Your response. Yeah, so I think a couple of things. I think that uh, African-Americans and Mexican-Americans are almost unique in their understanding of terrorism because they've been dealing with it for hundreds of years at the hands of groups like the Ku Klux Klan and, and, and the know-nothings and nativists who attacked us uh, and, and killed us and lynched us and all those things. Mm-hmm. And that is all true. And so, uh, if anything, when we see something like what happened on October 7th in Israel, the, the murder, the massacre, the, the mass rapes, the kidnapping— uh, we should, our hearts should go out immediately to the Israelis. And we should want what Americans wanted on uh, September 12th, the day after the September 11th attacks, which is a reckoning and justice and some, some prevention that this will not happen again. Because make no mistake, if they were to listen to the very ill-informed column written uh, with this week by Tom Friedman at the New York Times and simply stand down in some sort of symbolic gesture, uh, this attack that occurred will happen again and again and again. So I'm I'm a hundred a hundred percent against Hamas and in favor of Israel and supportive of Israel as are according to polls sixty seventy percent of Americans. I think the president not, said that. Yeah, Mr. Great, great. And I'm with the president. Yeah, go ahead. And, with, and, with, and, with, and with Biden, and exactly. I'm with Biden mm-hmm. on this, and Biden is exactly there. But where I think he rose specifically to the occasion, Tavis, is first his comments were were clear and resolute and, and didn't he, unflinching. He really does uh, step up to it when he needs to, and I think that was important. The fact that he. Uh, put two battleship strike groups uh, uh, in uh, the Mediterranean Sea next to Israel to uh, basically uh, ward off uh, Hamas, Hezbollah, and Iran and tell them don't act up on this at this moment. And lastly, the fact that he got on a plane and flew in the middle of a war zone during wartime, he flew to Israel to stand with Bibi Netanyahu, I think all speak well of this president. And man, does it speak poorly, again, of those aforementioned Republicans uh, who now don't know what to do because they... They are afraid to praise Biden for doing what they want him to do, and they just look feckless. Um, as you know, we hear all kinds of voices around here. Again, conservative voices, center voices, uh, progressive and left voices like yours truly. Um, I'm not afraid to, to, to take anybody on to hear what they have to say. Here's what I think the president going to have difficulty doing tonight. He's going to get spanked pretty badly for it tomorrow, I think. Starting, well, Let me just start spanking him right now. Um, he's going to have a difficult time. We've been trying to thread this needle. Um, in a speech tonight where we expect him to ask for more money for Ukraine and for Israel, here's the argument that he can't make. Um, you want to protect the Ukrainians against occupiers known as Russians, but you don't want to protect the Palestinians against occupiers known as Israel. That's a hard needle to thread, Ruben. Yeah, because it was the Palestinians who invaded Israel. It was Hamas who invaded Israel. Thousands of Palestinians, not just those in Hamas, but also you know, rank-and-file Palestinians, they crossed into Israel, knocked down with a bulldozer the fence, and stepped onto Israeli soil and started killing uh, and injuring Israelis. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it was Hamas who invaded Israel. Now Israel has to do what we did after 9-11, which is to take some sort of action that incurs this does not happen again. I'm always struck by the fact that I think progressives, who whose heart goes out to the Palestinians as well it should— uh, is somehow they feel like if it, you had repeated strikes on Israel, uh, losing 1,500 people every month 
every month, another one, another one, another one. That would be okay with the left. It doesn't make sense. No, no. Let me, let, me, let me speak for the entire left right now, which I which I am uh, hubristic to okay. do, hubristic to do. But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> no, what what the left, what the left, what the left wants you to understand uh, as you indict them is that you're myopic. Let's just call it what it is. You are being very myopic, uh, as is Joe Biden. You're looking at the incident, but not the historical context, and that is undeniable, Ruben. Yes, and the historical context, as you know, if you go all the way back, you have cases of Israeli. Uh, I will use the word disenfranchisement, uh, the discrimination against uh, the Palestinians in the occupied territories, the mistreatment of Palestinians, all that is true. If you go back, though, and further in history, you see that Israel being attacked by its Arab neighbors. If you go back to 1948, the Israeli war, you go back to uh, 52, the Suez crisis, you go back to 67, the Six-Day War, you go back to 73, Yom Kippur. In all those other cases, depending on how far you want to go back, those were cases of Israel being attacked and surrounded, uh, you know, outnumbered 10, 20, 30, 50 to 1 by Arab states, more than that. And so that, that is ultimately how, how you want to tell the story. If you want to just jump in and tell the story from the last 20 years, okay. But if you want to go all the way back 80 years ago to the start of Israel, Israel has been fighting for its life and its survival since day one. I don't care if you go back 2,000 years. My point is that in, in, in real time, only one of those states is being occupied. That is incontrovertible it is undeniable it is not debatable only one entity only one country only one republic is being occupied at this moment i said on this program yesterday and i stand by this i think there are too many palestinians that don't believe that the life of an israeli baby has the same value as the life of a palestinian baby and there are too many israelis who don't believe that the life of a palestinian baby has the same value that of an of an israeli baby and so what i believe is that yeah. we need a ceasefire uh and sadly you saw that leaked memo in your paper the washington post you were part of their syndicate um you saw that leaked yeah. memo from the state department that they've told people do not use the phrase ceasefire do yeah. not say we want yeah. the bloodletting to stop that's that's a damning indictment of this administration of this state department that they don't want right. to be in a frame of even talking about ceasefire. But at the end of the day, only one entity uh, in this uh, conversation, only one country in this in this conversation is occupied at the moment. So I don't care if you go back 100 years, 80 years, 2,000 years. Let's talk about who's being occupied at this moment. And all I'm saying is this, that um, you cannot have a conversation that looks at a particular moment in time and doesn't look at the entirety of the context. So you and I agree on that point. Let's look at the entire context. But right now, only one of these nations is being occupied. And I, I just think, again, uh, wherever you come down on this issue, uh, I'm waiting for somebody to answer that question for me. With all due respect, Ruben's answer falls flat for me. You cannot tell me how in one speech you're going to ask for more money for one country to protect them from being occupied by the Russians, Ukraine, but you have no interest in protecting another country that is presently occupied. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a red herring. It's a false argument. It's a false narrative. Uh, I don't see how he's going to thread that needle. We will see what the president has to say tonight. For now, though, I thank our friend and brother Ruben Navarrete Jr. for his insights. And Ruben will do it again somewhere down the road, my friend. All the best to you. You too. Thanks, brother. Thank you, brother.